Welcome to What's So Funny, a comedy podcast where we talk about some of the most influential and controversial comedians from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh. Here's your host, Dave Swanson. Hi, welcome back to What's So Funny. I'm your host, Dave Schwenson, and today I'm joined by, oh, I was going to say a couple of goons, but I'm not going to say that. We'll Aww. bring that up a little bit. <laughs> Two of my favorite co-hosts, Kelly Thulis. Oh, hello. Are you there, hello, Kelly? Dave. I am. I'm here. <laughs> uh, and Logan Rashaw. Hello, Dave. I've been listening to the goons all week. <laughs> <laughs> That's the topic of our show today, the goon show. Wow, the goon show. Yeah, this show. is going to be an interesting one. This is something I didn't have any background with coming into this. I was relying on you, Logan. I, I was relying on you to carry this one. I know comedy. I don't know British comedy as well. Okay, well, like, we're going to get into I know the people they influence, but we'll get into it. We're going to get into that because I think this is going to be a fun show today. We are kind of goofing around here about the goons, but we do know a little bit about them, and that's why we're focusing on them for this entire episode of What's So Funny, The Goon Show, which was a huge Big comedy success in England back in the 1950s. And like Logan, like you said, they went on to influence comedians that we are hearing today. Yeah, so now this is like a British radio show. Like This isn't a TV show we're talking about. BBC Radio in England. It's very interesting how they started. And I do want to get into the background along with their influences. But the main guy, Spike Milligan... I don't know how many of our listeners have heard of Spike Milligan. He's pretty much a legend in the comedy scene in England. But he and uh, another guy who was a member of the Goons, Harry Seacombe, were fighting for England in World War II. That's how far back these guys go. In the, I, the Royal Army, whatever they were. Here's the story. I mean, I don't know how true this is, but everyone swears it's true. Spike was with some kind of artillery company fighting, I think, in North Africa, they had these great big guns, these big cannons they were shooting off. <laughs> and he <laughs> shot off one of the cannons, and the, the impact of the cannonball take, whatever, it knocked the cannon off a cliff. Oh okay, my this God. big cannon fell off a cliff, landed with a big thud. And there was a guy sitting in a truck underneath this, almost got squashed. <laughs> okay, he was sitting there working like the telegraph or some wireless radio during the war, and his name was Harry Seacombe. And he said, what the heck is that? And he said, before he had a chance to really think about it, the curtain on the back of the truck opened up. Spike Milligan stuck his head in and says, anybody here see a cannon? <laughs> <laughs> and here, the story's not done. Harry looked at him, and this is brilliant. This is the brilliant comeback of the war right here. Okay, Spike said, anyone see a cannon? Harry turned around, looked at him, and says, I don't know, what color was it? <laughs> and these two guys, that was the birth of the goons. Can you believe they won the war? <laughs> <laughs> they wound up entertaining some troops, uh, you know, as a comedy team. They were doing, you know, entertainment. And, That's amazing. Uh, and then later they had another person join them who people might be a little more familiar with. For sure, I think so. Uh, they had Peter Sellers join the group and yeah. kind of really rounded out everything they were doing. If there are listeners here who aren't familiar with Peter Sellers, that's like step one. Just go back and, and watch his material, <laughs> his movies, and then, well, and then take Clouseau. a step backwards. Yeah, of course. Then take a step backwards and then listen into the goons. Peter Sellers was an entertainer his entire life. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, he started as a child. You know, his parents, yes, his parents were... Uh, theater performers, vaudeville, whatever they would call it in England. And so from the time he was 
four years old or something. He was on the road. Mm, so wow. he was already a comedian and an actor as a child and, and constantly doing this. So when Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe, they were just a comedy team. One of them, I think Harry was friends with, or he was performing in a theater where Peter Sellers was also performing. Spike Milligan went to see him. They met Peter Sellers backstage and the three of them hit it off. They had the same sense of humor, this absurdist, surreal, whatever you want to call it. And they just, they, they were able to bounce off each other immediately. And that was the beginning of the goons. It's amazing when people find each other like that too, because what they were doing was so weird and different. It wasn't the norm for British comedy at the time. Not at all. And, and it is now, if you look back, I was going to say, if you look back now, it's like that's what you would expect from British comedy. But at the time, it was completely, you know, revolutionary. And these three, along with, and I think there were two other goons in the beginning, Ian Carmichael and Michael Benteen. So at one point, there were, what would that be, five goons? Five goons. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to go to this pub, I think, on Sunday nights or something, and they would start doing this comedy show. But they always, this was the key, too. And this is just early 1950s. They had a, a reel-to-reel recorder, and they started recording all their sets so they could listen back to it. Like, again, what comics do today. Always mm-hmm. record your set, listen back. Mm-hmm. You know, where did they laugh? Where did they not laugh? They were doing this, and someone got a copy of it to the BBC, and they proposed them to do a weekly radio show, comedy show. Yeah, that's how it all started for them. They started on the BBC, I think it was 1951. I had heard that they got their their name, the goons, from a Popeye episode. There was Popeye in Goonland, and they— Yes. That's Yeah, okay. So you guys heard that too? So yeah, that's how they, they oh, yeah. came up with that name. Yeah, the character is actually called Alice the Goon. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yes, oh yeah. And uh, yeah, they were like, uh, like sort of tribal, like Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. Right. Popeye went to the uh, Goon Island back in the 30s, back in the <laughs> 1940s. Popeye comic books with Alice the Goon on the cover with Popeye in a headlock and stuff, you know? The Goon was like eight feet tall. And in the beginning, they didn't know if it was a male or female. And they all looked the same, all the goons. They had uh-huh. big hairy arms, big hairy legs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, that's what they decided to name their comedy troupe after, Alice the Goon. I think that's really it, interesting, it's so fitting, too. Though. Yeah, it is. And, and if you listen to, I mean, if you compare Popeye, that character, with the sort of voices of the characters that they play, we were joking before we started recording, it was, it's, it's very difficult to understand what they're saying yeah, I guess this Alice the Goon, in the comic book, she only, you know, they have like the the comic book bubble over the character's head with the lines that they're saying, you know, so you can read the comic books. The Goon's only spoken squibbles, if you want to call it that. It, it didn't make any sense. So with Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers doing all these crazy voices and Harry Seacombe, a lot of it was gibberish. They were making up stuff. Like there were songs they made that were just gibberish. <laughs> and then, well, when you get to the actual show itself, I mean, Milligan's got his, like, thick Irish accent, so he's tough to hear, and he's doing squeaky voices and things like that on top of it. And there's just so much going on that, I mean, I'm not used to listening to, like, radio plays. So it's kind of tough to adapt, but once you get into the rhythm of it, it's really neat. Well, that's it. I listened, I don't know how many other shows, there were half-an-hour shows, and they did from 1951, I think, to, like, 1960, maybe. I mean, we're talking hundreds yeah, they, I think uh, I saw 238 episodes and 12 specials. I got through like three or four or five of them. <laughs> like, I still don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and then it just kind of clicked. And you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of get this now. I can see the humor. And uh, really, by the fifth or sixth one, I was, I was laughing out loud. I'll be honest with you. It was funny. 
Yeah, with there being so much there, it was tough to find where to start. What I saw on YouTube was uh, there was a track of them doing Robin Hood. So it was like their characters thrown into the Robin Hood scenario. And then from there, there was like, okay, I have the groundwork. Now I can learn the characters from that. Sort of like Abbott and uh, Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, they always had an ongoing plot. Matter of fact, I think, oh, no, I had someone once compare them as a soap opera because there's always a storyline. And they had the same characters that went into different episodes. So, you know, Spike Milligan would play certain characters. Peter Sellers would play certain characters. But that's the other thing as far as their how they got their deal, though, with BBC. We're bringing up Peter Sellers because, again, all comedy fans should know who Peter Sellers is because he was Absolutely. such a movie star. He was Oscar-nominated. He's just one of the top comedy stars of the 20th century. However, when they, when they pitched The Goon Show to BBC... The reason BBC picked it up is because Peter Sellers was part of it. He was already on some other show, and they were worried about him going to a rival, like maybe television, or they wanted to hang on to his contract. So they signed him with the, the goons. And they weren't called the goons in the beginning, by the way. They were called crazy people. They didn't think the name the goons, people would understand what that is and tune in. By the time they finished their first season, we're talking millions, were tuning in. This was just a breakthrough. Nobody had done anything like this. This was, I don't know, Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was that kind of impact on the comedy scene in England. When you hear it, you're going to immediately just be caught up in how wacky it is. It's, it's all just spitfire talking. It feels frantic, but it's really well done. All these different characters going on. It's just three of them, sometimes four or five, but tons of characters, tons of sound effects. And they're just doing it all live. That's the other thing, too, what they did, the sound effects. And they made it part of their act. Doors closing and slamming and telephones and sound effects, explosions, you know, and all this. And, and out of nowhere, it didn't make sense half the time. Somebody would open a door and walk out, but they wouldn't really walk out. They'd still be in the scene. Then someone else would show up and slam a door. And it was if you listen to it, it's just absurd. Yeah, they were like messing with the audience and playing on the fact that you can't actually see what's going on. Right, and they, they said that they would take things just like a step too far, like they, to almost the point of uncomfortableness. Like you'd expect them to stop the audio at some point, but then they would go like a mile extra past that. <laughs> yeah, and they made fun of everyone. Nobody was off limits as far as like politicians, even the royal family. And the people loved it. The listeners loved it because no one was doing anything like that before. Yeah, they really changed British comedy, and you can see it in the people that they influenced too. Oh, yeah. And I want to bring this up, too, because Spike Milligan, again, maybe a lot of our listeners haven't heard of him. He is very much a legend in English comedy. He was like the Big Bang, let's put it that way, because he was the one who wrote most of these scripts. And um, he played different characters, and he, I think he produced the show, a number of different things. But in the middle of the first or second season, he had a complete nervous breakdown because it was too much pressure. And I think they had to commit him. And he missed like two months worth of shows. And so they had to bring in a couple other writers to kind of imitate what he was doing. And that must be sort of common because, I mean, we've talked about that in the past with with writers on these these shows, with the Smothers Brothers and how they kind of went down. I mean, it, it takes a lot to put these kind of shows together. It really does. What the BBC had to do, almost like an insurance policy, when Spike Milligan came back, they also had two or three other writers with him. So even though he had the ideas and he was doing the dialogues, they could actually write it down. They were forming the scripts with him. So he always right. had co-writers after that. And that, I'm sure that takes a lot of pressure off. So yeah. that definitely helps. 
what I just love is the format, too. So, like, we talked about the storyline with it, but it was kind of a variety show, too. Like, there was music, all kinds of things going on. And then what I saw was the first three seasons, they were all just done live to tape. And then after that, they started getting magnetic tape, and they could start actually, like, still recording in front of a live audience, but ad-libbing and cutting it and editing, and they kind of played with that and changed their format a little bit going on. And that's sad, too, because I think the first couple seasons of this are lost forever. They did it live in the studio, and I, th- I think that was it. They went out. There's, there's no record, except maybe some of the scripts they might have had left. I think this is it's an interesting, you know, everything kind of comes back. And, and this was, as we said many times before, this was a radio show. And mm-hmm. now uh, here we are on a podcast. And it's just hey, funny how, you, you know, everything does sort of come back. And I, I feel like, um, you know, narrative and, and sort of um, sketch podcasts are, are a thing now, too, that you, we don't see those as much. But they've sort of become popular and so it's just sort of interesting where it's like, well, that's that's what the goons were doing. Just they were doing a broadcast. So everything comes back. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah. Can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. And one thing, since you brought that up, Kelly, I want to let our listeners know this, too. If they want to go online, I found this before we started doing our show today. The 50th anniversary of the BBC in England was 1972, and the goons had stopped performing in 1960. But they came back for a reunion for this 1972 special 50th anniversary of the BBC. And they did one of their shows, a new episode. But you got to see them do it. It was done in front of a live audience. They were on stage. And I'm telling you, that just opened my eyes wide to what these guys were doing because they were having a blast. Yeah, any video I've seen of them all together, there's... They're just like so in sync with each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know. I would love, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that really because I, I listened to the album, but I didn't I didn't know about the, the recording of it. And from what I saw, like Logan had said, just some of the clips I had seen of them working together. I mean, they're, they're so high energy and they're really playing off each other and moving around. And yes, I'm sure that's just wild to watch that album. Yeah. And they have their three microphone stands in front of them. And it's Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and uh, Harry Seacombe, if I pronounced that correctly, just the three of them, the main ones. But also they brought back some of the music guys they had. Every show had like three acts. And between the first and second act and the second and third act, they would have a musical interlude. One of them was like a classically trained harmonica player. <laughs> I can't remember oh, his name. But he is on the video. He comes And they have a whole orchestra behind him. He comes on, he plays something on harmonica. It's brilliant. I'm like, this is great. And then in the background, you got Peter Sellers lurking around and Spike (laughs) Milligan, and they're doing all this crazy, and they're cracking each other up. They're doing their voices, these real squeaky, high little voices. And you can see, and we we do want to talk more about Peter Sellers, I think, 
you can see a lot of his influences that he did later in these movies, Dr. Strangelove and the Pink Panther, Inspector Clouseau, mm-hmm. all these different characters and things. And he weren't exactly politically correct, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> these yeah, guys. No. These guys were in World War II, so they made fun of, you know, the Nazis and the Japanese, and they were making fun of them. You know, that was a big deal. So there's the Heil Hitler and all that kind of stuff, but they're cutting them down. I mean, they were upset. That was their life. World War II, so that generation had a whole different style of humor, and it really clicked when the goons did this. For sure, and it's always really important to note, too, that not only was that their life, but that was everyone's life, you know? Now, Mm -hmm. when you have people going off to war, it doesn't quite affect the daily lives of us. You know, we we have soldiers right now off in war, but we don't really, you know, it doesn't affect our daily lives so much. Whereas back then, World War II, it was, yeah, it it was everything for everyone. It was was happening in England. Like it was, yeah. Yeah, it was their life. And so these sort of jokes, it's not like a distant memory or a history lesson. It was their life. It's a whole different thing that I don't think in America we could understand that. Because, no. again, we were always isolated over here. They do talk about war, but they have different, the Scottish are invading, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> Irish are invading. And they're saying, there was one line I heard, they said, oh, what are we going to do? We're in, we're in England. We got them surrounded by water. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? <laughs> they're just insane. They're out there. But, yeah, they were such an influence. And when I do watch The Pink Panther with Inspector Clouseau and I see the things Peter Sellers was doing, it's directly out of the goon show. When you listen to it like on the radio show, you cannot tell who's doing Oh, yeah, you have no idea. And the thing is, it it was done, again, live. So they were cracking each other up. And I was thinking of, remember the old Carol Burnett variety show with Harvey Corman and Tim Conway? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. They used to, I mean, they would just try to crack each other up all the time. And they would leave that in the air. And that's what we would all be laughing at. These guys were doing the same thing. And that's, yeah, that's probably the best part is you, when you hear it, you can hear it, but when you watch them, you can just definitely tell they're just having so much fun. Even when I couldn't understand like the first episode I listened to, I was just like, these guys are having a great time, and now I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, I think they came up with a signal. Spike Milligan or, or one of them came up with a signal that if he was going to crack up, he would do what they call a raspberry. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like that. Right. <laughs> he would do, and that was a signal that he was cracking up. And next thing you know, they'd all be cracking up, but they're still doing the show. And as a matter of fact, and I've got to look through, I wrote down notes here. Oh, they had a they had a hit song back in 1956, the Ying Tong song. It reached number three on the hit parade in England. Wow. I don't know if you guys listened to this. I listened to it. Yeah, I listened to it. Okay. And you know, Logan, it's, it's just all their sound effects. Their little squeaky voices with some kind of music thing going in the background. Right. It's absolute gibberish. I think they said uh, Spike Milligan or whatever did the uh, solo, the raspberry solo or something. They <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but yeah, it is just gibberish. But it went to number three on the charts. That's how, that's how popular they People were. People love them. Yeah. It's so crazy. I definitely see their influence. I definitely see why they're important, especially for comedy. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I really struggled to get into it. I don't well, know. Well, I'll how tell you, guys... you what. I'll tell you what. Here's my theory <laughs> about their influences. We, and I'm talking about the three of us and probably anyone that's listening to us right now, we have all been influenced by the goons. We may not realize it, or they, you may not realize it right now, but their style of humor crossed over the Atlantic, and has really affected our comedy scene here. Perfect example. Okay, here we go. Because you guys know I'm the classic rocker. You know this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I've I've written a couple books on the Beatles. (laughs) I love that. That's my things I do on the side. 
the Beatles were the goon show in a way as far as their humor went. And here's the connection. The goons had a hit movie in England. I think I have to wrote it down. I think it's called The Running, Jumping, Standing Film. And it's just craziness. They're running mm-hmm. and jumping and, and they're standing. falling over. Yeah, standing. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're doing backwards, you know, running the film backwards. It was just this real silly film. It was a big hit. And the director was a guy by the name of Richard Lester. Okay. Richard Lester is the guy who directed the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night and Help. Which okay. famously have a lot of running. Running, jumping, jumping, jumping standing. and standing. Yes, there are <laughs> scenes that they... And the other thing, too, the Beatles musical producer, George Martin, produced comedy albums by Peter Sellers oh, wow. and Spike Milligan. So that's why the Beatles were so psyched to work with George Martin. Not that he ever knew anything about pop music. He really didn't. He was making it up as he went along. But he had recorded their favorite comedians. And John Lennon has, had often said that he started listening to the goons when he was 12 years old. And they didn't finish with him until he was 16. And it just a, he knew that there was other people out there who were insane. That's what made it <laughs> know that. So there were other people like him out there. But uh, if, you, if you watch these, go back to these old Beatles movies. Watch A Hard Day's Night. I'm sorry. It's a comedy film with great music. Oh, yeah. No, but those it's are very influenced by the goons. Yeah, that's a connection that I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out, Dave, because that's a connection I would not have put together. I mean, I knew the Beatles were inspired by them just from quotes that I saw, but not but the not the actual connection. I mean, because obviously Monty Python is like a direct line. Like, there it is, you know, but, but Beatles and the goons I didn't quite see. So thank you for pointing that out, Dave. There are direct lines. Yeah. They both the Hard Day's Night and Help that they took from the goons. You're a swine. You know, oh, my These gosh. other things, they, these <laughs> are goon lines from their shows. So I like to bring this up because I say how we are still influenced by it because I mean, of course, the Beatles came over here and they were huge in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. But they changed everything. What came on TV after the... (laughs) Excuse me on this. I'm going to get carried away. Go, go, go. go. When when I was watching The Goons, I'm like, oh my gosh, no one's put this together yet? The Beatles influenced a TV show called The Monkees on NBC. The Monkees came out with all this Richard Lester kind. They were imitating A Hard Day's Night the whole time. So what came after that? Batman. What came after that? <laughs> Laugh-In. What came after that? The Smothers Brothers, Steve Martin. This was all, to me, a direct line from the goons. And then you had the Firesign Theater, which was a satire comedy group, I think, in Los Angeles. And then Monty Python. And the Monty Python shows were, were aired here in America. Everybody watched oh, so, I mean, those, too. Huge, yeah. So there you go. That's my comedy That's, lesson for today. Thank you very much. Wow. It's wonderful. I'll be here all week. Take, don't forget don't to tip Don't drop your, your mic. We, we as comedians all know how expensive mics are, but that was a mic drop moment, Dave. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm very proud of myself. I'm going to have a sip of my iced coffee right now and just relax a little bit. You know. Like, wow. Okay. Well, now, see, now I'm going to have to go back. You've given me homework. I have to go back and, and re- investigate the goons. Because like I said, I just, I really had, I and I loved Monty Python growing up. I loved the Beatles. I just didn't draw this line. And so when I was listening to it, I kind of, I really had a hard time getting into it. I had a hard time listening to the album. Even the documentary, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. They're important. So I, I hope, <laughs> I hope our audiences are more impressed than I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched a documentary on Monty Python. And I can't remember what Michael Palin, I don't know which one said. They said the goons was like the Big Bang. It's every once in a while, again, like I, I said, it's like Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan Show, the Beatles, and it, it changed everything. That's what the goons did for comedy in United Kingdom. 
in England. They said that was the big bang because everything before that had been the old vaudeville, take my wife, please kind of jokes and singing. These guys came out and they were completely absurd. I mean, it's just like, I mean, one of the favorite things I was laughing today because I watched it came out and said, hello, sir, what's your name? And he goes, oh, you're starting with the hard questions, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Where did this come from? You know, they do all this stuff. And it's just so absurd. But that just changed everything for all of them. And the ones who were hooked they said they, they did not miss a show. They didn't miss an episode. And they were replays. They were memorizing everything. And again, you go through these early Beatles movies, they are quoting The Goon Show. Well, and like you said, just it being so different, that's important for comedy or any art. Once that comes out and it breaks through and it's absurd, it breaks the format, it's different, now you've opened the door for anyone who's just kind of nuts to like go ahead and put something out there and try it. Yes. Because they don't have to stick to the old vaudeville format. So that's where we get Monty Python, which pretty clear lineage to the Goon Show. It's interesting, and and with, I think when I think of British humor, I think of absurdist. So it's so crazy that yeah, this is the sort of starting point of all of this. Yeah, we couldn't have had Monty Python without the Goons first. They were just such an influence, and they just took it to another extreme. And Eddie Izzard too. That's a huge Kelly. That's a good one. I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, Eddie Izzard. He's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, absurdist, you know, whatever. Yeah. You can trace everything back. I mean, the goons didn't invent comedy. I don't know. They might have now. I, I think they yeah, might have. Like, I'm, I'm really questioning everything after all the lines. <laughs> I need like one of those conspiracy theory boards with all the strings and the lines that all goes back to the goons. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you think back in comedy, even like the stand-up comedians like George Carl and Richard Pryor, they did not invent stand-up comedy. They just took it someplace it hadn't gone before. And, you know, the goons, like I said, they had the old vault. I mean, Peter Sellers was touring dance hall circus with his mom and dad doing comedy child stuff in England in the 1930s. You know, that's the kind of stuff it was. Then he became a member of the goons and it just changed it all. So, yeah, I'm very impressed with the goons. And I had been until we started talking about doing this show. I thought, oh my gosh, I've heard of these guys. I've heard of their individual names. I really don't know what they did. So I started listening and like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I love seeing where some of these bigger names started. So seeing Peter Sellers before he was the movie star. Peter Sellers, yeah. Like that was crazy. And then all these guys ended up becoming huge stars. In 1972, that BBC 50-year special, they came out and did a goon show live. I think it's Goon Show numbers, and they numbered them all. I think it was like number 161. And by the time they got halfway through it, I said, oh, we're in the num- number 162 by now. <laughs> and at the end, you go, hey, welcome to number 163. It was just insane. But in the audience, there was the Queen's husband, who's at Prince Philip, and Prince Charles' oh, wow. sister. Mm-hmm. They were all fans, and they, they read this fans. telegram. They read this telegram on stage from Prince Charles that said something just very goonish, like my hair turned green and my knees have it evaporated. I'm so full of jealousy that my sister's there for your final show and I'm not. Charles. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and then you got them sitting in the audience watching and they said, and they make fun of the royal family. Oh, so they wow. said, well, we're going to have Queen Elizabeth come out. She couldn't make it. So in her place, we brought, and then it's Harry Seacomb doing a, a woman's voice. Of course, <laughs> you know, of pretend, course. Yeah, pretending he's your majesty. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my gosh, off with his head. Uh, I got it. I'm with you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we need to talk about with the goons? I think uh, 
we got into this. Like, we I'm did. very pleased with how much we uh, mm-hmm. found out about the goons. The next time you see me, I'm going to have like a goons t-shirt on. I'm going to have like all their merch. I, uh, you've really, you've changed my mind about them today. <laughs> wow. In other words, Logan, that means she's going to have a t-shirt with yours and my face on it. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, too. Uh, and Tom. Yeah. yeah, can't leave Tom out. There's, there's the goons. <laughs> I will <laughs> say. The uh, U.S. version lot. of the goons. <laughs> I will say, unlike a lot of the other people we kind of look at at the show, there's so much material here that you can dive into if you want to see the goons, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Because there's hundreds of episodes. Yeah. And some are you won't be able to find, but a lot of them are available to listen to pretty easily. Yeah, and they're just so absurd. I mean, the stuff they come up with, it's like, why couldn't I think of that? Because it's just right in your face. Like, oh my gosh, that's funny. But they were just churning this stuff out every week, every week. You know, a three-act play for a 30-minute radio show every week. And it's just crazy. They were crazy people, and then they became the goons. <laughs> just like we're crazy people, and we became what's so funny. All right, listen, I'm going to end this goon show right now. I had a blast. Thank you so much, Kelly Thulis. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you, Logan. And yeah, Logan Rashaw, thank you very much. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. We're all absurdists and crazy people, and that's why we're hosting What's So Funny. And anyway, on that note, I'll just tell you, I'm Dave Schwentz, and thank you for listening to What's So Funny. We'll see you next time, and until then, keep laughing. What's So Funny is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Sarah Wilgroup. And audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.